May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, that gospel's a light-hearted romp. But I think, we can, I think we can unpack it. I think we can make some sense of it. I've found that as I get older, my capacity to trust God for life, like really not get bent out of shape by all sorts of things, has deepened whatever choices I make. On the whole, for me, trust is the antidote to fear. I used to fear being stuck in life, in a, stuck in a situation where I could see no good options. And at times that fear could be almost paralyzing, but, but almost always depressing. But along the way, I've learned that I have choices, even if only choosing how to respond in any given circumstance. The most extreme example of this took me a long time to learn personally after I'd learned it intellectually. Some of you will be familiar uh, with Viktor Frankl, who founded the fourth school of Viennese psychiatry and wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Maybe some, not many, okay, some. Well, anyway, he, he did this by observing uh, observing how people lived in the camps, in Auschwitz in particular, in the Second World War. And he saw that some victims were going to their death already, in effect, long dead, and others were making meaning as stripped of hair and identity and teeth and clothing and everything uh, that might make them human. They went into those ovens facing certain death with dignity, with all the dignity they could muster. They claimed life, in a sense, even in the face of death, at least in Viktor Frankl's uh, view. Even with nothing, they made a choice, and it's a choice that means none of us ever have to feel completely trapped by circumstance. There is always something we can choose uh, that, that makes us human. Now, this is not to say I'm fear-free by any means. I fear the mob. I fear the way lies shape the beliefs of so many of my fellow citizens. I fear for our democracy, which so many seem not to value. I hold dear the rule of law, and I'm fearful it's being undermined at every turn. And then I find myself very easily demonizing or even hating those people who I believe to be responsible, even if I've never had a conversation with them. And that's a problem that I'll get to a little later. The question is, who do you fear? How does it affect you? I cannot tell you how many people in the last six years in Washington I've had conversations with, were dealing with deep breaches and often irretrievably broken, uh, brokenness in their families over matters of faith and politics, and usually both. And today in our reading, Matthew is speaking to such fears. Or again, in the past month, I've um, been really, it's been really fun being with you in Chapel Hill. I've reread Pauline Murray's autobiography, and then I read the new biography of Martin Luther King Jr., and that led me to watch again Mississippi Burning and Selma. And I heard echoes of our gospel as I, re as I read and watched these scenes of mob violence, incited violence. I heard those echoes as well as I was reminded of the tensions between some of the leaders in the movement, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and so on, about the place of violence and whether there was a place for violence. In, 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 in the, uh, when demanding radical change. Those leaders were afraid too. And even in those days, Jesus was speaking to such fears. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
I've not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to get, set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and so on. Far from Jesus declaring such brokenness and violence to be the goal of his ministry, he's seeking rather to undermine the mechanisms that bring such violence and brokenness about. And he's doing it subversively, and he's doing it from within, as I read it. Here's what I think's going on. Jesus has called the disciples, and he sent them out as wolves in the midst, as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? They, in this case, are the wolves. They are the governors, and they are the princes, and they're the ones who are accusing Jesus of being the devil. They're threatened. They're threatened by another vision breaking in, and they will go after those who follow the way of love. But then Jesus says something strange. He says, don't fear them. Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Surely he's referring in part to that mechanism that is unveiled at his death, the mechanism by which we create scapegoats out of our own anxiety and pretty soon wind up justifying violence against those whom we have named as enemies. I won't tell you what I reactively want to do to people uh, who I fear. The mechanism which we're so often unconscious is the one whereby out of our own anxiety we create a triangle. We we, we create, we, rather than dealing with the anxiety, we, we project onto someone else. Parents who are not dealing with tension in their own relationship will often focus on their children, and the children in time, as symptom bearers, you've seen it, will, will, will wind up getting sick, or their grades will start falling, or some other symptom of being triangulated. You can think of examples of this all over the world. How often do we develop a sense of unity, delicious unity, but over against, over against some perceived threat, some common enemy. Isn't that what happened when the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, for completely different reasons, colluded to put Jesus to death? And wasn't his death, in effect, the unviling of that violent scapegoating mechanism of which we are so often unaware? Nothing hidden will not be uncovered. The secret has become known. And Jesus goes on. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now, let's first get clear that the soul in Jewish thinking is not, and biblical thinking actually, is not what we usually in our common language, refer to a soul which is really out of Plato, where the soul is something almost distinct from the body, and the body can lie in death and the soul can go marching on. That's not the scriptural view of soul. That's not, um, that's not the Jewish view of soul. The soul is more like uh, here, something more like the attribute that makes us human, the image of God, perhaps, or the capacity to make meaning, like those victims, those scapegoats, who were being pushed into the ovens because they were apparently the root of all evil, the source of all that was wrong in the world. They were scapegoats, and violence was the result. Jesus tells the disciples, as he tells us, as long as you put your trust in me, your whole trust, trust that you are beloved, 
Trust that the hairs on your head are counted, which I say with a certain irony. Um, <laughs> trust that you are beloved. Then they can kill your body, but not your freedom, nor your dignity, nor what makes you human. They can strip you of everything, and you are still beloved. Fear rather, he says, the evil that is soul-destroying, the violence you perpetrate, we perpetrate, when we're afraid or anxious, because then we're giving up our freedom and our dignity, and we are consigning ourselves to hell. I'm glad that many responsible for the insurrection of January 6th are being held accountable by the courts, but I don't get out the champagne. Instead, I find myself saddened by the evil in which they're caught up, the evil in which, if we're not careful, we're all caught up, evil which we don't have to anymore perpetuate, an evil which we do not wish to perpetuate. So when you feel the bile rising, watch out. Fear getting caught in the mechanistic cycle of violence, which is the path to hell and destroys your body and your soul destroys your humanity and the humanity of others who are caught up in this stuff. Instead, remember that you are beloved. You are beloved of God. Set your fears aside however you learn to do that. Learn over time to put your whole trust in God's grace and love as you promised at baptism. And hear Jesus say, so be not afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear, trust, is the antidote to fear. I offer this with thanks to my friend, some of you may have heard of theologian James Allison, follower of René Girard, and a lot of his thinking underlies much of this reading of the scripture that I've offered this day, and I offer it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at thechapelofthecross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.